Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. What's up? Janesville, good to see everybody. Always good to be up here with my Central Christian family in the great city of Janesville, Wisconsin. Yee yee. How y'all doing? Awesome, awesome. Man, can y'all believe this is the first weekend of the new year? First weekend of a brand new decade. This is like sick in the head. This is so crazy. How many of you all, you had an amazing last decade? You had an amazing, like you're saying, if my next 10 years, anything like my last 10 years, that'll be boss. Who are you? Who are you? Yeah, all of you guys, I got your hands up. I just hate all of you. I hate all of you. Hey, all. How many of y'all, you like me, and you ready to hit the reset button on 2020, right? Because you're looking for some new stuff, some different stuff, some fresh stuff. Who are you? A few of y'all in here? Yeah. I don't know about y'all, but, man, I need to be refreshed. Yeah, I need to be renewed. I, I need to redefine some relationships in 2020. I need to return to some old practices and principles that I kind of allowed to to lay down and kind of get lost in the shuffle. I don't know if you're in here today, and maybe that's one of the reasons uh, why you're here this weekend, first weekend of the year. Uh, maybe you want to leave the junk of the past in the old year, and you're ready to run into 2020 um, with some new purpose and some new worth and some new determination, maybe more than you've never had before. And if, and if that's you, and this is your first time, or your first time in a long time, I don't think you could have picked a better time to be hanging out with us at Central because we're in the second week of a brand new series that we're in called Resolve. Everybody say Resolve. Now, I wonder how many of you all are into that? You're into New Year's resolutions. How many of you, you have already made your New Year's resolution list and you in it? You, you are doing it. You're getting it done. Nobody at 1030. Okay, I got one guy right there. How many of you all, you have not made your New Year's resolution list, but you're going to get it done tonight, and you're going to roll that thing out starting Monday? How many of you in here? That's great. I got one or two of y'all. You got like five pages of a New Year's resolution list. One or two of you in here? No, no, no. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. But a lot of people, man, they're into this thing, right? Because, you know, it's that season, right? You know, you want to say, I mean, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to do some things differently. I'm going to be better. And listen, if this is your first time, your first time in a long time, we are all about that here at Central Christian. We want to see you awesome. We want to see you successful. We want to see you win. We want to see you get everything that God has for you. And we want to see you become everything that God has called you to become. Now, there is some bad news for my New Year's resolutionist in the house. And the bad news is that for everybody who starts a New Year's resolution and has good intentions of getting going on January 1, statistics say that 92%, yeah, you know where I'm going, of everybody who starts a New Year's resolution list January 1 fails and falls off the wagon by Valentine's Day. That's bad news, right? And you may be saying, well, why is that? Well, would you agree with me, everybody, that a resolution represents a goal? Like, it's, it's a goal that we want to accomplish? Here's the reason why, everybody, 92% of people who start on January 1 fail by Valentine's Day. And it's because goals, everybody, don't determine success. Systems determine success. You feel me? Goals don't determine success, but it's actually systems 
that determines success. I mean, and, and is there anything wrong with a goal? There's nothing wrong with a goal, right? I mean, you know, you want to lose the weight. You want to be more organized. You want to save more money. You want to earn more money. You want to get that business going. You want to stop abusing drugs and alcohol. You want to attend church more regularly. Nothing wrong with a goal. The problem is, everybody, goals don't determine success, but systems determine success. As a matter of fact, there was a great author by the name of James Clear who wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And in Atomic Habits, James Clear writes, he says, people don't rise to the level of their goals but you fall to the level of your systems. You don't rise to the level of your goals, but you fall to the level of your systems. And I say that to say to everybody in the room today up here in Janesville, friends, if we're serious about experiencing some breakthroughs in 2020, if we don't want to fall victim to the 92% that fail by Valentine's Day, or who lose track by Mother's Day or who completely fall off the wagon by St. Patrick's Day, we got to take a hard look at the systems that we have in place in order to get to where we want to get to. Because we don't rise to the level of our goals, but we fall to the level of our systems. Goals don't determine success, but systems determine success. And so you may be saying, all right, well, Pastor Ray, that sounds good to me. What is the difference between successful people and other people? Great question. Glad you asked. Here, here's the answer, everybody. Uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle says it like this. He says the difference between successful people and other people is that successful people, everybody, they do consistently what other people do occasionally. Yeah, successful people do consistently what other people do Occasionally. And so maybe you're that person who you're saying, uh, you ever seen a person who is kind of like in your peer group and they are like crushing it. They are like getting it done, right? And you kind of sitting back, maybe not you, but you might, you, might, you might know some people like this, that they look at somebody else and they're like, well, dang, what do they got that I? I'm, I'm, I'm going to try with you. Man, what do they got that I? Oh, y'all talk like that up here in Jamesville. See, I knew you did. Yeah, yeah, here it is. Um, I, would, I would submit to you um, that it's not their skin color. It's not the family they were born into. It's not the level of education. I would submit to you that those people who are crushing it and getting it done, they have a system. Because successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And I'm just curious, do I got anybody in the room who wants to be successful in 2020? Oh, don't be bashful, young people. Where you at? I mean, doggone it. I mean, you want a greater, more intimate walk with Jesus, right? You want a, your prayer life to go to another level. You want to be a more effective witness for the Lord. You want to be a more proficient provider for your family. You want to be a great husband. You want to be a great wife. You want to be a great mom. You want to be an awesome dad. You want your life, your work, your career to matter, not just now, but years from now when you spend an eternity with Jesus. Come on, who wants to be successful? There's nothing wrong with that. And so when we think about what that looks like for us, everybody, and we talk about this 92% statistic, you know, that was a little bit sobering for me. And maybe for some of y'all in the room today, maybe a little bit intimidating. You know, if you're of a realist mindset, you know, my wife is a realist, I'm an optimist. And so our worldview clashes sometimes the way we see things, right? And for the realist in the room, you might have heard that 92% and you already snapping back at me. Well, dang, Ray, thanks a lot for stepping on my dreams even before the year gets started. 
92%? Shucks, why even bother, right? What's the purpose? I mean, the numbers are the numbers, right? And, and, and so many times I've tried and failed to accomplish my goals and make changes in my life to see some fresh and new and different things happen. And I always seem to find myself right back where I started. Any real people in the room? Take two steps forward and only life show up to knock you five steps back. Yeah. But everybody, if I can get you to, to jump on my coattails this morning, when I checked out that 92% number, and I actually started doing the work to find out the why behind the what. You know, that, that 92% number, it didn't intimidate me. It actually motivated me. It encouraged me. It, 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 it lit a fire under me, created a hunger and a thirst for me to get this 8% figured out. Because, listen, I can't speak for y'all up here in Janesville, but I can't start 2020 the way I finished 2019. I can't do it. I can't operate at the same capacity I did last year and think that's going to be good enough. I can't have the same mindset that I had last year and think I'm going to get done what I need to get done. I can't make the same mistakes that I made in 2019 and 2020 and think it's not going to cost me. I can't waste time rolling around with people that all they do is take from me and, 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 and pull from me and not deposit into me. Guys and ladies, I don't know about y'all, but 2020, it's got to be my make it or break it year. Yeah, I got no more time to waste. I got no more time to play. I can't afford to wander around lost and aimless. Listen, I know God's got greater for me. I know God has greater in me. And I know God wants to accomplish greater things through me. Am I by myself in Janesville this morning? All right. Yeah. And here it is, everybody. And in 2020, I resolve to begin seeing what I know to be true to start manifesting itself to where I can see it. And my goal today, church, is to help every single one of us in the room hold on and maintain our resolve so that we can begin to see some stuff that God has for us this year and provide a biblical system that I believe will help us get to where God wants us to get to. If this sounds good to you and you in with this, somebody, I need somebody to say I'm in. All right, awesome, awesome. I got a guy that I want to introduce to you in Scripture that I think will help us pull out what we need to pull out this morning. A young brother by the name of Daniel. Now, if you're not familiar with Daniel in the Bible, I just want to provide for you a few fun facts about who Daniel is. Now, the Bible um, not only refers to Daniel um, as strong, good-looking, and healthy, but, you know, when I checked that out, I was like, okay, I like that about Daniel. Yeah, all right. But here's the other thing. The Bible also suggests to everybody that Daniel was very intelligent and he was very sharp. He was very intelligent and he was very sharp. Now, y'all do know there's a difference, right, between being intelligent and sharp. Y'all know some folk, they, they real intellectual, not real practical. You know what I'm saying? You know, they got a whole lot of book sense. Not a whole lot of common sense. You know, folk like that will crush you in the classroom but get lost walking around the block. Y'all know some folk like that, didn't you? Right, right. Well, the Bible says, everybody, that James, uh, that, that this guy Daniel was not only super intelligent, but he was also really, really sharp practically, right? The Bible also suggests, y'all, that Daniel had the, the gift to interpret dreams and visions. Daniel was amazingly wise, just an unusual 
uh, gift of wisdom. The Bible says that Daniel also had outstanding, excellent people skills. It didn't matter if he was dealing with the most powerful man in the country like the king or he was dealing with a hired servant. God just gave Daniel great favor with most of the people who he came in contact with. The Bible also says that Daniel was a hard, committed worker. He was a loyal friend. And he, uh, the Bible uh, verbatim in Daniel chapter 6 verse 4 says that he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. I think you guys can kind of figure out why I like this guy Daniel so much. He's an amazing guy. And so I want to introduce to you the way the Bible introduces to us who Daniel is in Daniel chapter 1 verse 1. In verse 1 of Daniel chapter 1, the Bible says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And let me give you the backdrop of what's going on. So Daniel was living in Jerusalem of Judah. He was living there. All right. Jehoiakim was Daniel's king. And so what happened was Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king, shows up and basically attacks Jerusalem. Say pagan. Now, you guys know what pagan, a pagan is? A pagan, everybody, is somebody who comes from a polytheistic culture. Poly meaning multiple. Theism represents God. And so if you come from a polytheistic culture, what that means is you believed and you served multiple gods. Now, Daniel... From his culture and our culture here in the Christian church is we believe there's only one God. So we believe in monotheistic uh, society. So polytheism represents how many gods? Multiple or many gods. Monotheism represents how many? Y'all such a good class. I love it. Yeah. And so everybody, so the Bible says that this pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, shows up, attacks Jerusalem, and the Jewish encyclopedia, everybody suggests that... Um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar basically kills Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, in cold blood and allows his body to lay out in the street for everybody to see. And also probably suggests that he did the same to countless innocent men, women, and children. This Nebuchadnezzar was a bad dude. And then uh, Nebuchadnezzar decided that he would take 10,000 of the best and the brightest of the young people of the city of Jerusalem and called them to be his servants in Babylon. And among those that uh, Nebuchadnezzar chose in Daniel chapter 1 verse 6, the Bible says, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, and three of his best friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar takes Daniel, his 10,000 uh, other young people, including his three best friends, and he takes them 500 miles on foot from Jerusalem to Babylon, and he puts them in a three-year intensive training program that would cause them to have to learn Babylonian culture, their language, their laws, and an effort to basically wipe out any recollection of their Jewish heritage. And then as a part of that three-year training program, the Bible says that the king wanted his trainees to eat from his very own table. And here is where we get a glimpse of Daniel's character and his resolve. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, watch this, it says, but Daniel resolved, somebody say resolved. Somebody say resolved. Yeah, not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official permission for permission not to defile himself this way. One more time, Jamesville, let me hear you say resolve. 
That word for our note takers in here, that word literally means to firmly, to be firmly determined. That word resolve, everybody, literally means to decide firmly on a course of action. And everybody, here's the deal. If there's anybody in Scripture that had an excuse not to be firmly resolved to follow God, not to be resolved to continue uh, to decide that I'm serving God with everything I have, is Daniel. Because you got to understand, when Daniel was taken uh, from his home, the Bible says he was probably a teenage boy, somewhere between 14 and 17 years old. This young boy saw his parents killed, literally right in front of him, was snatched from his hometown, had to journey 500 miles on foot into Babylonian captivity, right? And I don't know if there's anybody here that can relate to knowing about being trapped in a situation that you didn't ask for or seek out, having to answer to a person that's over you that you're not in favor of, having to be forced to function and exist in an environment where it is nowhere near godly or nowhere near virtuous. Anybody in here ever been in a toxic, ungodly environment that you had to exist in? One or two people in Janesville, one or two, right? And, and, and maybe if that's, your, if that's your truth, where is your incentive to live godly while everybody else around you is living worldly and unruly? And yet, everybody, this 17, 14 to 17-year-old teenage boy had a resolve about him that basically said, I don't care what's happening around me. Whatever is happening around me, I will not allow the wrong that is happening around me to negatively impact and affect me, but rather I will choose to trust the one who lives within me, to shine the light of truth through me, so that no matter how dark it might be, his light will guide my thoughts, my words, and my actions. Somebody ought to say amen. Yeah, yeah, that's who this guy was. And I was like, wow, this dude is neat. And some of you may be saying, well, Ray, I want to know how was he able to do that? In spite of everything that he was going through, I would suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, Daniel had a system that I think we can learn from this morning. And the number one principle of his system was Daniel, everybody, had a resolve to maintain a committed, consistent prayer life. Now, did I say Daniel had a resolve to maintain a prayer life? No. I said he had a resolve to maintain a committed, consistent prayer life. Because we said earlier that successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Now, let me help you with this. Now, you guys remember we talked about Nebuchadnezzar, the one that took Daniel from Jerusalem into Babylon. And the Bible says that he served that king for years and years. God gave him great favor with this king. I'll get into that in a little bit later. And so years later, about 45 years later approximately, now Daniel is underneath a brand new king, just as crazy as Nebuchadnezzar. The guy's name was King Darius. And Darius really didn't know Daniel like Nebuchadnezzar did. And so, but he heard some good stuff about Daniel. He's like, okay, Daniel, I hear some good stuff about you. I'm going to put you and a couple of other people in charge of my royal cabinet, and let's see how you do. And the Bible says as soon as he put Daniel in charge, Daniel started crushing it, killing it, to the point that Darius was like, well, snap, look at this Jewish dude. He's killing it. As a matter of fact, why I need these other people? I'm going to put Daniel in charge of the whole deal. He's going to be number two under me. And so the other wise men was like, this doggone Daniel. He at it again. He was the man of the Nebuchadnezzar. Now dares to give him faith. He done took my Christmas bonus. Doggone it, I was going to buy a house this, this new year. Can't do nothing now. 
We got to do something about this dude, right? And so they got together, and they was like, you know what? Let's see if we can catch him up with some corrupt stuff. But they couldn't find anything on Daniel. Because remember what we said about Daniel earlier in Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, the Bible says that Daniel was faithful, always responsible, and completely, remember that? And so they upset, doggone it, this Daniel, he ain't got no side chick. He ain't stealing no money. We can't, we, we can't do nothing on him. He ain't like us. We got to figure something else out. And so here's what they decided. They said, you know what? We're going to trip Daniel up with his God. That's the only way we can get this guy. And so they rolled into King Darius' chamber. They was like, King Darius, you're awesome. In fact, you're so awesome. Here's what we think you ought to do. We think you ought to come up with a law that for the next 30 days, nobody in the kingdom is allowed to pray to anybody but you. Darius heard the plan. He was like, hmm. Nobody prays to nobody but me. I am pretty amazing. Sounds like a plan. Let's do that, right? And so Darius puts it in the law. For the next 30 days, nobody prays to anybody but King Darius. And the Bible says, everybody, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, when Daniel heard that the decree came down, verse 10 it says, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went to his penthouse. See it? See it? Upstairs room. See, I'll be reading the Bible too fast. He went to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day, how many? Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Here's a verse. Here's a part of it. Just as he had done before. Can I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, this wasn't Daniel going to God in an emergency situation. But this was Daniel's consistent, committed, Prayer life, his consistent, committed routine. And everybody, it's interesting. I feel like what Daniel was saying to us in that moment is, I know things ain't happening the way I want it to happen, but whether I'm up or whether I'm down, whether things are going for me or they're going against me, I'm not going to allow my circumstances to dictate the, my, my relationship with God. Right? I'm going to continue to look to the hills from where my help comes from, knowing all of my help comes from the Lord. I know my help don't come from people, so I'm not going to depend on the weatherman. I'm not going to depend on the boss man. I'm not going to depend on Pac-Man to get me where I need to be. I'm going to trust God to deliver me at whatever situation I'm facing. Somebody ought to say amen. Yeah, yeah. And so here he is. He continues to pray to God, and the Bible says that the wise men catch him praying. And they drag him before Darius. And they're like, yo, Darius, your golden boy was praying to his guy. You got to throw him into the lion's den. Darius is like, oh, snap, they got me. Because he didn't want to do that. Daniel was, he was his guy, right? And so the Bible says that Darius was forced to throw Daniel into the lion's den, literally kicking and screaming. If you read it in Daniel chapter 6, as he's throwing him into the lion's den, Darius basically says to him, Daniel, I sure hope your guy can get you out of this one. He done done some crazy stuff before. Let's see what he does with you this time. Throws him in, and the Bible says, everybody, this pagan king, this pagan king who wasn't even connected with Daniel's God couldn't sleep a wink that night. At the first sign of daybreak, the Bible says he jumped out of bed and ran to the lion's den. First of all, he a king. Kings don't run. They stroll. The Bible says this dude ran with his robe to the lion's den. 
got to the lion's den, was like, yo, Daniel, you all right or did you get ate up? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Just like that. And the Bible says, Daniel said, yo, king, I'm good. Read it. You read it. Daniel chapter 6. He says, an angel was sent by God to shut up the mouth of the lion and your servant is unharmed. Daniel had a consistent, committed prayer life. And I say that to say to you guys today, I believe everybody in the Christian church, uh, I'm not sure we in the Christian church have a consistent committed prayer life. I would say if most of us would be honest in the room, a lot of us, we have an occasional prayer life. And because we have an occasional prayer life, we only pray when emergencies happen. You know, when the lions of sickness and the lions of divorce and the lions of eviction and the lions of termination and the lions of addiction are surrounding us, then we want to jump down on our knees and pray. But can I say this to somebody in the room? Uh, if you have an occasional prayer life, you're going to get occasional results. God, I thought I would have got one right there. I'm going to try this side. If you have an occasional prayer life, you're going to get occasional results. But if you have a consistent prayer life, come on, somebody, you're going to get consistent results. Somebody that say amen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say it like this. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, you jacked up. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. The Bible says uh, one of Daniel's first systems, he had a consistent, committed prayer life. Number one. But number two, everybody, Daniel had a resolve to resolve himself to God's purposes instead of his own. He had a resolve to God's purposes instead of his own. Now, back to... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's crazy, but, oh, let me give you this quick uh, note for my note takers. His resolve was, watch this, no matter where I am, I'm going to operate in the truth of who I am. No matter where I am, I'm going to operate in the truth of who I am. It's going to make sense in a minute. So back in January chapter 2, the Bible says, everybody, that, uh, oh, no, Daniel chapter 1, you remember when I told you that, uh, Daniel had to eat from the king's table. You remember I told you, tell you that? And Daniel said, I'm not eating them burgers and fries. I'm not doing that. And so the Bible says um, that Daniel had a supervisor that Nebuchadnezzar put over him and was like, hey, Daniel, I love you, man. I, I, I like you a lot. But you got to eat them burgers and fries that the king is serving you because if you don't eat that stuff, um, the, the, the Bible says, um, he said that uh, the king going to kill me. You know he crazy. He going to kill me. And Daniel's like, bro, I don't, I don't eat like that. We eat healthy. He says, so Daniel says to the guard, he says, let's do this. Test me and my three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Test us for 10 days. And all we're going to eat is vegetables. Y'all familiar with the Daniel fast? Vegetables and water? Anybody familiar? Y'all not familiar with that? Okay. Thank you. All right. And so this is where this comes from. So the Bible says, 10 days. If we, after 10 days, look feeble and look weak, then we'll go ahead and eat the pork chops and the sausage and bacon that the king's serving. We'll do it. We'll do it. Right? So the Bible says, all right, we got a deal. And after 10 days, it says that Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and more fit than everybody else that was eating the fried chicken, I mean, the food from uh, the king's table. Right? 
And, and, and here it is. Watch this. Daniel chapter 1 verse 18 says this. It says, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. Here's verse 21. Watch this. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, the point I'm making at this point is Daniel had a resolve for God's purposes instead of his own, right? And the verse that I just read is very significant, talking about him remaining in the service uh, of the king until King Cyrus. I told you how long Daniel served uh, Nebuchadnezzar, roughly somewhere between 42 and 45 years. He served three more kings uh, over a period of six to eight years or so. So here's Daniel in the service of these pagan kings for the vast majority of his life. Now, I told you in point one that Daniel had a consistent, committed prayer life, right? Guys, you don't think a part of Daniel's prayer life was, God, I love you so much. Get me the heck up out of Babylon. Come on, y'all don't think so? Think about it for a minute. Here's Daniel in this foreign land with these foreign wicked people. Ain't hardly nobody in this place serving his God. And every single day, he is literally fighting for his life, having to protect himself from people that want to take him down, that are backstabbing him, that literally want to take his life. You don't think he was going to God like, God, I love you, but this place is crazy. I can't stand these people. I can't stand this environment. I want to go. Come on, somebody. Right? But I bet you, even though that was his prayer, before he ended every prayer, I can assure you his prayer was, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Yeah. Had a consistent, committed prayer life. But number two, he had a resolve to God's purposes instead of his own. And he was determined not to allow his circumstances to dictate to him how he was going to act, behave, or respond. He said, no matter where I am, I'm still going to operate in the truth of who I am. And why am I bringing it up today? Because, church, I think in the Christian church, Pastor Kellen, we have a misnomer. The misnomer is that if I do what God tells me to do, if I come to church, if I give my tithes, if I serve, then everything is going to work out exactly the way I want it to work out. Everybody, that's not the way this thing works. Can I say it to you this way? How do you know you have resolve? See, you don't know you have resolve when all your I's are dotted and all your T's are crossed and everything is working out just the way you want it to work out. You know you have resolve when all hell is breaking loose in your life and at that point you say to yourself, I don't care what's going on, whether things are for me, whether things are against me, whether things are working out the way I want them to work out, whether things are not working out the way I work out, I am resolved, I am firmly committed to the path of following Jesus every single day of my life. That's how you know you got resolve, church. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that two hand, two hand claps. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say it like this. It's not about you. What did I just say? That was two people. What did I just say? It's not about you. It's about what God wants to do through you. In three weeks, I'll celebrate the one-year anniversary of the death of my father. 
Her father passed away this time last year. And for those of you who lost somebody significant or a close loved one to you, you know what I'm talking about. You know how I'm feeling. And I can remember uh, when it happened, when we found out that he was terminal, uh, my plan was different. My plan was God's going to work a miracle. He's going to heal my dad. Everything's going to be great. And so guess what we did? We fasted. We prayed. I phoned a prayer group. And every single week, me and my siblings and, my, and our loved ones, we prayed. Same day, same time for weeks. Everybody lost 18 pounds fasting, praying, believing God was going to heal my dad. And God said, I got another plan. I got a better plan. Took my dad home to be with Jesus. And I could have at that point said, you know what, this Christian stuff don't work. This is whack. I'm not getting what I want. I'm going to do something else with my life. And I believe, everybody, if I had done that, two things would have happened. Number one, there's a whole lot of people that would not have come to know Jesus and would not have been blessed by the ministry that God has deposited in me to share with this world. That, that's number one. Number two, I firmly believe my father would have came down from heaven. I believe this. I believe it, Randy. We would have been like, uh, JC, give me a minute. I, I got to run this errand. Pick me up out my bed, smack me upside the head like, boy, get your act together. I'm all right. I'll see you in a little while and went back up to be with Jesus. I firmly believe it. Firmly believe it would have happened. Yeah. Being resolved to God's purposes instead of your own. And that means, church, there may be some times we got to deal with some tough stuff. And it's not because God wants to punish you. It's not because God's got this terrible plan for your life. It's actually quite the opposite. And it may be he just wants to see where your resolve is. That whether you're getting everything you want or whether some things aren't happening the way you want them to happen, will you continue to have a firm commitment to continue to follow me and trust me even in spite of it? Y'all do know that it was God's will for Daniel to be in Babylonian captivity, right? Y'all know that, right? Y'all need a verse. Y'all need a verse. Let me give it to you. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 says it like this. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Look at verse 2. And the, I'm sorry, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. It's God's will. And we don't always understand God's will or God's purposes, or God's plans, they're greater than ours, they're higher than ours, that's not our job. Our job is to have a resolve to trust him and follow him and operate the way he called us to operate in the midst of it. Our call is to say, wait, wherever where I am, I'm going to operate in the truth of who I am. I'm a child of the Most High God, and that's not going to change just because my circumstances change. Do I got anybody in this church that can say amen to that? Come on, somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Number one, Daniel had a resolve to a consistent, committed prayer life. Number two, he resolved himself to God's purposes instead of his own. But here's a little third thing. He resolved himself to doing life with like-minded people. And here's a coaching point on this. Who's in your crew, everybody? I will submit to you, you don't need a lot. You only need a few. Who's in your crew? You don't need a lot. You just need a few. 
Daniel had a crew, and let me tell you, we've been talking about them all day. Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael. You may know them from their Babylonian names. Brothers by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, those are their Babylonian names, but they're given Jewish names, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. All of those boys were Daniel's guys. They were all connected back in the day, right? And so here it is, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, really quickly, well, I'm, I'm almost done. Can I stop saying Nebuchadnezzar? That's too long of a word. I'm a, I'm a, my tongue is getting tired just saying it. Can I say King Neb? You're not going to throw me out for saying for shortening his name. Right? King Neb. Everybody say King Neb. When you read his name, like, I learned in church King. No, I'm just joking. I'm joking. King Neb, everybody had a dream. And the dream disturbed him so much that he woke up and was like, this is crazy. Somebody got to tell me the meaning of this dream. And so he called all his wise men together. Now, Daniel wasn't a part of this initial meeting. He called all the wise men and magicians together. He was like, look, I had this dream. I need you to tell me the dream and tell me what it means. The wise men was like, what's wrong with you? Who can tell you your dream? Only God can do that. Now, if you tell us the dream, we'll tell you what it means. He's like, nah, you a magician, right? You a mystic dude, right? You can see some stuff in the, in the supernatural, right? Well, be that dude. Tell me the dream. Tell me what it means. Or I'm killing you and all your family. I told you Nebuchadnezzar was crazy, right? The magician was like, there's no way we can do that. He's like, I hate you. I'm killing you all, right? And so he sends an edict that everybody, every single wise man in the, in the, in the uh, kingdom was going to get killed. And the edict shows up. I mean, the guard shows up to Daniel's door. He's like, Daniel, I've come to kill you. Daniel was like, it's New Year's. What you talking about? Right? He was like, well, King Neb said, you know, this. He runs Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, don't stress out, King. We're going to figure this thing out, and we will tell you your dream and what it means. And the Bible says, everybody, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 18, verse 17, it says that Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Watch this, verse 18. He urged them to plead for the mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse, verse 19, and during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a dream, in a vision, and Daniel praised the God of heaven. Daniel was committed to doing life with like-minded people. And why am I saying this for my friends up here in Janesville? Because everybody, those like-minded people that you need in your life, it might not be your girlfriend, your wife, or your fiance. Try to decide. Those like-minded people, they might not be your boyfriend, your fiance, or your husband. Yeah, because God is doing the work in your life, but right now, your husband or your wife, they're rejecting God. They, they, they ain't got nothing. The only thing that's connecting y'all right now is marriage and bills. I know some folk like that, right? right? And so if that's the case for you, you need some people in your life that will encourage you. You need some people in your life that will pray for you. You need some people in your life that will uh, believe God not only for the sanctity of your relationship, but to keep you on track when everything else around you is telling you to quit, Turn around and go back to doing things the way you want to do. I mean, you've made a resolution. You know, this year, uh, I'm going to cut out fried food. I'm not eating no fried food for the next 60 days. And your husband walk in with a bucket of chicken from Popeye's. Who's hungry? And when something like that happens, you better have some people 
in your life that's going to encourage you, that's going to keep you where God has called you to be, that's going to continue uh, to keep you so focused on where God is leading you, right? Who's in your crew, everybody? You don't need a lot. You just need a few. Yeah, Daniel had three guys that he can lean on, he could depend on, that would encourage him. And everybody, you may be saying, well, Ray, all of this sounds great. I got it. Consists of committed prayer life. Uh, resolve to do things, God's purposes versus my purposes. Uh, resolve to have like-minded people in my life. I'm going to build my list around that, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Only thing I want to say to you is be careful about running out and being excited about doing some stuff. I want you, last point, I want you as you look at what you want to get done in 2020, don't focus on the do. Focus on the who. Don't focus on the do. I want you to focus on the who. In, in other words, who it is you want to become versus what it is you're trying to get done. Does that make sense? Let, 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 me, let me show you the chart. I'm so proud of this chart, Pastor Kells. Did it myself. Yeah, yeah. Do goals. Maybe your first do goal is you want to lose weight, or you want to stop abusing drugs or alcohol, or you want to start tithing or giving more, or you want to stop procrastinating, you want to stop lying, you want to stop disappointing your spouse, children, friends. Hey, anything wrong with this list? That's a pretty good list, right? Decent list. Would you agree? Nothing wrong with that list. But here it is. If you focus on who it is you want to become versus what it is you want to get done, it's amazing how the do will automatically flow from the who. In other words, instead of saying, I want to lose weight, maybe your attitude now is, no, I want to be healthier. You feel me? In other words, instead of saying, I want to stop abusing drugs and alcohol, no, I want to be clean. I want to be a good steward. I want to be more disciplined. I want to be trustworthy. In other words, if you take a real good hard look at this who list, basically what you're communicating, if you take a hard look at it, is, you know what? I want to be more like Jesus. Because if I'm more like Jesus, I'm going to be healthier because I'm going to recognize that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be very careful about what I put in it because I want to preserve that and represent him with everything I have. If I want to be more like Jesus, guess what? I'm going to be a good steward because I recognize that everything that I have is not because I'm just this brilliant person that works hard, but I recognize that every single gift and talent that I have, it comes from heaven above. And I want to be a good steward over what he has entrusted to me. If I want to be more like Jesus, I'm going to be more trustworthy because what I recognize is I trust what Jesus did for me on the cross when he died for my sin and gave me an opportunity to spend eternity with my God in heaven. And because I trust what he did for me on the cross, that I'm going to project that trust onto every single person that I come in contact with, my wife, my girlfriend, my fiance, my husband, uh, my children, my coworkers. I'm going to project that because it was entrusted and given to me. Church, is this making sense? And it's amazing how if we focus on being more like Jesus, if we focus on the who, the do will flow naturally from the who. And so as I get ready to leave you today, I want to encourage you guys. What does it look like for us to consistently focus on who it is that we're becoming? My prayer is, our hope and our goal is we want to be more like Jesus. And if that happens, the do will flow from the who. And hopefully you'll recognize that, you know, 
if I'm trying to be more like Jesus, boy, I better have a consistent, committed prayer life because I need to be connected with him as often as possible. If I'm focused on the who, man, I know that it's about him. It's not about me. It's about what he wants to do in me and through me. So I'm going to be focused on God's purposes and not my own. If it's about becoming more like him, man, I'm going to do life with like-minded people because I know I can get easily distracted and I can easily fall astray. And I got some people in my life that I can lean on and depend on to make sure that I don't lose my focus when life shows up and, and deals me a whammy. But I got some people. And I don't need a lot. I just need a few hardcore folks that'll smack me and make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and doing what I said I wanted to get done for Jesus in 2020. Amen? Everybody stand. Hey, I love you too, buddy. Maybe part of your commitment and recommitment to Jesus is like Kellen talked about on the loop, is grabbing uh, that Jesus storybook Bible. I'm being committed to spending time in the Word at least four days a week with my family. I'm going to commit to that. We need to build our house on the principles of God's word. And this is an easy way for us to do it. Or maybe grabbing that core 52. If you don't have young children in the house right now, but you need something to get you kick-started in 2020, what a great resource for you to grab. I want to encourage you to do that, right? Whatever it is, let's make the commitment that we want to transform into the who and the do will flow naturally out of it. Amen, let's pray. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.